It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia! A quick friendly reminder, if you watch the VHS of Footloose, please be kind and rewind. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and KJ. Great to have you back as always. Additionally, joining us as a guest for this episode is... Alexis. Thanks for joining us, Alexis. Alexis and Tom are siblings. Alexis is an epidemiologist who has her PhD from The Ohio State University and recently gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, Maxwell. Alexis also conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. Then once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. KJ, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 1984. The U.S. is preparing to host the Olympics in L.A. Owner of a Lonely Heart is playing on the radio. And the number one movie is Beverly Hills Cop. But the number two movie is Footloose, directed by Herbert Ross, who is also known for The Turning Point, Pennies from Heaven, and The Secret of My Success. In theaters with Footloose was basically nothing, which may have accounted for some of its success. But you could have seen Hot Dog the Movie. Uh, this is Spinal Tap or Stephen King's Children of the Corn. In Footloose, we have Kevin Bacon, who finds himself in a town that is banned dancing. But Kevin Bacon has to dance. So this fish out of water tale presents some morals. Uh, I don't know. The morals didn't seem to really have any backing. But by the end of the movie, the kids get to dance. So I guess something happened. Um, but today I'd like to try to figure out what genre this movie belongs into, right? Dancing is a big part of this film. Religion is a big part of this film. Small town versus big city, I guess, is a big theme in this film. I, I, I'm trying to figure out what this movie um, is trying to say. So, Tom, if you only had one word to describe Footloose, what would it be? Denim. How about you, Nick? Fascism. Alexis? Corny. And my word would be loose it's time for movie quiz all right today we are going to be hopping into round one we have two questions each question is worth one point it's time for question one during the opening credits whose name appears three times i think i'm locked in i'm gonna lock in too They were just so many shoes dancing. Locked in. All right. Alexis, what do you have? I'm going to go with Dean Pitchard. Tom, what do you have? I was going to say Kenny Loggin. Kenny Loggin. And Nick, what do you have? I was also going to go with Kenny Loggins because I believe he had three songs in this movie. I have no idea if anybody's name appeared three times. Everybody gets points. How <laughs> awesome was that intro with the shoes and the dancing? You weren't looking at the names. You were looking at the dancing. How cool was that? What I will tell you is one of those pair of shoes was Kenny Loggins, by the way. Ah, remember which ones? No, I should know. <laughs> but... The gold ones. <laughs> Probably. Is that a fact? The gold? Is there I gold think shoes? so. I, yeah. But I... I can't remember. I think I read it while I was trying to figure out if this was based on anything real. 
Don't worry. So... I'll get to the bottom of this crucial <laughs> fact. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's fine, right? <laughs> the the, the song, shoe opening, everything. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. fine. I, I mean, it there's a, <laughs> it, it sort of speaks to well, I think why people like the movie, but also some of the problems with the movie, which is um, it, it's a it has the beats of a musical without being a musical. And so you're able to put in all this 80s music that people like to sing, but without uh, drawing away the crowd that thinks of musicals as anachronistic or, or, uh, you know, not modern or not hip, something like that. Um, And, you know, so what you have is this like fun 80s song and kind of dancing. Um, You know, some of the problems with the way they film the dancing is, you don't really ever see the full body of people as they're dancing. Sometimes you do, um, but when you do, it's cut very quickly. And I think that's this, this opening seems to be a microcosm of that, of kind of how you, how you shoot a dance scene incorrectly. It's often known that Fred Astaire would talk about this, that when he was doing films, he had a, a bit of control, even though he wasn't the director. And it'd be like, you shoot, face on right the whole body the whole thing the camera moves with the bodies you know uh, footloose doesn't quite do that a lot of them are body doubles in footloose i think like kevin bacon is almost never the one dancing so i think that might have a lot to do with not shooting the whole body yeah and, and many of them were not professional dancers uh also alexis was correct the gold shoes were kenny loggins When it comes to this movie, to Tom's point, I feel like they said, hey, we'd like to have a movie that has these songs in it. And then can you weave a movie into those songs? That's what I felt. (laughs) I thought a lot of them were written for the movie because Dean Pichard, um, I don't know how to say his name. Pichard? Dean Pichard? Pichard. He's credited on like all of them in the ending credits. So I don't know if they were written for Footloose or he rewrote or rescored some of them, but I think he's credited on every song. So I was actually watching, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I was watching a kind of behind the scenes on a different movie, uh, Nightmare, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, oh gosh, the one with uh, Tim Burton. Nightmare on before Christmas. And interestingly enough, they did not have the script done and he just did all the music and then they weaved a script into the music because the first guy didn't work out. So okay. I kind of feel it was that situation where that gentleman must have made all these songs and they and they <laughs> said, Hey, how do you make this work? But that's a true story on on that movie. Yeah, I mean, that's how a jukebox musical works. And this movie has the feel of a jukebox musical. Jukebox musicals either take songs from ABBA and then have some old plot jammed together in order to support them, or they do the backstage musical genre and they show the the writing of the songs. You could think of um, uh, Beautiful about uh, uh, Carol, not Carol Channing. Carol King. Carol King, thank you. Or, Or Jersey Boys. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, but it has those beats, right? It has that kind of familiarity. It feels like, uh, because it's just so poppy, right? And the music feels so independent from the thing that um, it, it feels like they wrote these, this music and the story, you know, kind of came in later, which is a fine way to do things. 
would you call this movie a musical, Tom? I would. I wouldn't because nobody sings, right? I. I, I mean, I think. I, it, I, I think it has the beats of a musical, and there's scenes which, which when they break to dance, do it in the same way that a romantic musical would. Typically, how a romantic musical works, unlike a, a jukebox musical, is people get so you know the emotions reach a certain point and you just have to sing, right? And so it becomes exp and that's when a lot of the dance breaks happen. Um, either uh, Kevin Bacon become Ke Kevin Bacon's Ren, the name of his character, becomes so emotional he just has to dance. You know, in a musical he would just have to sing, um, or you have sometimes uh, the setting up song right where you learn about the setting oklahoma does this and you know we have that kind of opportunity in the beginning here with with the dancing shoes um and so there's all of those beats are are kind of in there but we don't actually get the fulfillment of a, a full staged musical number we get some dancing but even that's a little cut together edited together so I should have mentioned at the top of this episode, um, we're, we're doing a series right now where we've each picked a movie that has been on our list for a while, but we haven't seen it. And the reason this movie was on my list is because I feel like I've heard that song a million times in various different settings. Um, any idea why that song survives the test of time and shows up everywhere? It's not because of the movie, right? Like, what, what is it about that song that, that's so prolific still? Yeah, I said whether you like it or not, it does get caught in your head when you hear it and frustratingly for me you can't get it out of your head sometimes yeah if it wasn't for copyright we would have started this episode with the uh <laughs> with the song so everybody would be listening would be sitting there singing it in their head while they're listening yeah what do they, what do they call that an earworm i think is the term yeah you know and that's um yeah that dates back like the first musical in in English language history is a beggar's opera. And that was like the, what they did with that was they took a bunch of famous ballads that everybody knew and just put new lyrics in it to suit the, to suit the story. And so, you know, go, going back centuries, this is what people did. Um, even though, you know, they wrote, they, apparently they wrote the music for this, but the lyrics are remarkably stupid. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't look really, it up. I didn't look yeah. it up. You mentioned Tom before the show, uh, <laughs> You want to enlighten us a little bit? Yeah. Uh, some of the so now I got to cut loose, foot loose, kick off the Sunday shoes, please, Louise, pull me off of my knees, Jack, get back, come on before we crack, lose your blues, everybody cut foot loose. <laughs> you know, it's whatever rhymes they they throw at you. The um, key is you don't even need to know what those words are because you have the tune in your head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's an earworm. It's time for question two. What song is playing while Willard, who is Kevin Bacon's friend, I guess, over there, what song is playing while Willard is learning how to dance? Locked in. All I can hear is Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, I can't I get the other song. You spread uh, the disease to me, Tom. I yeah, can't. no, I know. <laughs> I was just watching the scene, too. It, uh, this is horrible. <laughs> Guys, there's two songs in this movie. This is I the know, other song. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't um, want to cheat. <laughs> That's why I'm not looking at anything. I can lock in an answer, but it's the wrong answer. I have to lock in. Yeah, I guess I'll lock in too. All right, Tom. What's your guess? Everybody Wang Chung tonight <laughs> by Wang Chung. <laughs> and Nick, what do you got? Uh, 
something by a female rocker. <laughs> and Alexis? Uh, I thought it was give it to the boy, but it might be hand it to the boy. It's hear it for the boy. Let's hear it for the boy. Yeah. Yeah. Point goes to Alexis. I knew Mm -hmm. it was a woman. (laughs) 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 That really doesn't help. (laughs) Yeah. The only reason that whole scene was in there was the actor, Chris Penn, who played Willard, actually didn't know how to dance. They added that to the movie. I don't know if they did it to embarrass him, but it ended up to teach him how to dance. So I, when, I, when I picked this movie, I thought it was going to be a dancing movie. Maybe not quite as intense as Singing in the Rain or something like that. But does Kevin Bacon compare to Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly? Like, is the dancing even that good in this movie? Is this a dancing movie? I mean, it's not really Kevin Bacon, but I mean, for your character, I don't think so. I don't think it's Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly worthy. Was that their intent? Do you think that they were like, we got this song? No, I, I mean it doesn't. It obviously doesn't compare to the two greatest film dancers of all time. That's <laughs> <laughs> right up there. Yeah, I, I mean the director Herbert Ross was a former dancer um, before moving into uh, into direct, stage direction and then film direction. Um, he's done musicals before. Pennies from Heaven is a 1981 movie musical. Um, uh, it does a lot more kind of traditional traditional kind of big band or traditional movie dancing like traditional tap you see in in that film um i i there isn't a lot of focus on the dancing um i I think the genre that this is closest to isn't isn't so much a musical even though it emulates those beats i think this is more of a a, a sort of coming together of romantic comedy and, and coming of age um and and the dancing allows for the uh for those two things to intersect right we have to um you know he has to sort of embrace the responsibility of dealing with a community kevin bacon's character ren does um and also the dancing makes him appealing and and he's able to uh start a relationship with um with the minister's daughter Lori. what's her name again uh ariel ariel Lori singer is the actress is the actress yeah um and, and so that's I don't think it's a dance movie. I think it's doing that instead. And I guess, Alexis, if you're saying that's not really Kevin Bacon doing most of the dancing, and Tom, you pointed out the editing is barely showing the dancer, I guess that makes sense. If you got a dude that's not Kevin Bacon, you have to do weird cuts to show the dance so that people don't think, oh, that's a stunt double or a dance double. Or I have no idea what their intent was with this movie. And I'm I'm shocked that it is such like... Uh has such a cult following i should say it's not even it's not even cult it's it's pop culture like it's it's a big deal and funny enough after we watched this kj and i had a, an exchange offline he's like oh i didn't think it was gonna be like this at all i'm like kj this is exactly what i thought this was a first watch for me yes i've seen bits of dirty dancing and i always get the two confused you know but it is exactly like the ridiculous dancing movie with the very loose thin plot whatever you want to call it I, I was not surprised at all. From the moment they went to the drive-in and they turn on the big, big boombox radio and everyone's dancing, they, they can apparently hear this music in the bathroom. They can hear it in the kitchen. I, I'm like, this is unfortunately exactly what I knew this movie was going to be. 
There was uh, a take from a DVD commentary where Kevin Bacon said that he would pay DJs at weddings not to play Footloose because everyone expects him to dance like that. And as Alexis was saying, most of it was his, his double. So he didn't even know all those moves. So, so Tom, you mentioned this is a, a coming of age story. Do you think Kevin Bacon uh, came of age? Is that the right verb there? Did, did, did he go through an arc? Did he change i mean there's the one scene where he's in the courtroom but that that didn't feel like he changed that just felt like he was doing what was necessary so is who, who do you think came of age well kind of everybody I mean, I mean doing what's necessary is what it means to come of age right and so what what i think of when i think of the the, the coming of age in this context is sort of this um uh, torquevillian idea of the debate through that which like Americans go through all the time in order to develop. And so like being an American, being part of society, according to uh, Torqueville, would be to like uh, constantly discuss things, put things up for discussion, which he found, you know, and, and, and Charles Dickens, who wrote like the archetype of the coming of age story with, with great expectations, also felt this way when he, he visited America. It's like there's no hierarchy. Everybody's just discussing things. And so when, when Kevin Bacon goes to the council, even though he initially loses the you know the the vote um he's coming of age in a way that's particularly american and peculiar peculiarly american because he's engaging in the community in a way that's sort of sanctioned by the community do you see what i mean so it's it's that's how you come of age you enter the debate um, and he's able to do it by drawing on a kind of a traditionalist worldview this sort of you know whatever um whatever uh, John Lithgow's character is. He's like a reformed Calvinist or something. Um, I, I see what you're saying, Tom, but even at the beginning of the movie, he's not trying to stand out. He's not, tr he's trying to fit in with the high school. He's not trying to go against uh, John Lithgow. I think he's a pretty flat character. I don't think they're really, he came from out of town. This is kind of like these people work differently than the real world. I'm going to show them what the real world is. I, I don't think he was, that much of a force i don't know i would say that he's not particularly interesting i think he still goes through an arc of development i think um maybe i think he's more interesting than the other characters another problem with the film though is there's nothing new in this right i mean everything i'm saying and everything we're observing you know you've seen in countless other films there's no surprises here and i think his his arc of development may feel flat um not because it, it isn't there i do think he is a different person at the end he is a person of the community right he organizes to get the dance together he's not trying to um he's he's not trying to like hide his head or just make it through or you know whatever uh he is do he he's a part of the community and he's kind of making community actions but this is nothing new you know we, we've seen this and so i think it comes off as flat because here we go again yeah, but it had that song behind it, right? That's, that's the yeah. key. That's the difference. I think to Thomas's point, it's not overly exciting or new, but Ren, uh, Caravan Bacon's character, has that moment with Lithgow's character where he kind of recognizes um, where he's coming from and the pain and losing his son. And I think that was part of his you know, coming to age arc in the movie. Yeah, that that is true. I guess I guess he he does grow up um, a little bit during this movie. 
Um, but after round one, we have Alexis in the lead with two points, Tom with a point, and Nick with a point. Round two, it's anybody's game. We'll be back after this quick commercial break. It's time for Guess That Song, Whistling Edition. I'll whistle a song, and you guess what it is. Here we go. If you guessed Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, you're right. And we're back. Alexis, during our episodes, we ask our guests a critical question. And the question for you today is, if you could watch this movie with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Charles from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, he has this obsession with Diane Weiss, who I had no idea. I've never seen her in anything before this. <laughs> and I would really like to watch this movie with the, someone who has the perspective of the Reverend's wife being the main character. Yes. A, a, a fellow Weissaholic, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can't top that one. Yeah. That's wow. awesome. So, so if she's the main character... Then really, this whole thing is about what the the how much of a monster the Reverend is for stifling the entire town and especially his wife. Is that the is that then the the perspective here? Yeah, I think like in part, and I think in part, just them losing their communication after losing their son, like that he could put on this front for the town, but they didn't end up having this perfect marriage. She really did not feel part of it for a long time. You know who I'd really like to know their take on this? Charles from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> That's how I felt about halfway through the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're moving into round two. We're gonna have two questions, two points each. So it's still anybody's game. It's time for question three. What is unacceptable in the town of Beaumont? And uh, we're not going to go around the table because I don't think there's enough answers uh, specifically mentioned. So um, if you just give me a number and the ones you thought of, whoever's get the most gets the points. I think I'm locked in. Yeah, I think I am too. Yeah, I'm, I'm locked in. All right, Tom, what do you have? I just had five. So I had dance, drink, loud music outside, uh, smoking slash drugs. Smoking, then five is drugs. I was unsure if that to count that just as four, like smoking weed, but um, I don't know. They, they seem to differentiate it. I also had five, and it I think is a similar lineup: dancing, playing music, uh, drinking, drugs, smoking. 
I had the same five and likewise wasn't sure if smoking and drugs were one or two separate things. All right. You guys all matched points to everybody, I guess. Um, I, I Do we been... just need to match? <laughs> <laughs> Whether everybody gets two points or really more exciting, I guess, if the numbers are higher. Um, the, uh, the other things that I had on, on my list were specifically rock and roll, Slaughterhouse Five. Oh, you uh, you're going specific. You're getting yeah, specific, yeah, yeah. specific. Okay. Smuggled tapes. No, that's you're right. No, that's from the car. The car. He had a a, a cassette tape. Yeah, yep. that's that's what I was thinking with the playing music. Oh, okay. And then, and then the other big one was uh, red boots. She wears those red boots because she knows it upsets her father. Well, yeah, that's not, really. not bad by the <laughs> <laughs> Is that a law? <laughs> If that's just because she's a him. rebel. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the Reverend. He uh, he didn't make a lot of sense as a character to me. Sometimes he was the uh, strict Reverend, but sometimes he was the voice of reason against the people who were far more stricter than him. I actually thought he had the largest character arc of anyone in this film because he went from this staunch religion. I mean, where the opening scene is literally him preaching about the sins out there and, and the corruption and, and the devil and the demons, you know, working into their beautiful little town. And he sees through the different actions that all of a sudden at the end of the movie that he sees the light and maybe they went too far. I think what really turned it was when they were burning books because it didn't match their creed or their principles. So, when we were starting in the last conversation, I, I really thought he was the only one that had any major development. And going to your point of what is this movie, I actually thought of every of anything, it really is a drama. So that's where my vote is. But I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts about the the good reverend. I agreed with Nick. I thought he was one of the more interesting characters. And I think at first it just kind of felt like he was not going to be, you know, that interesting. And I, don't, I think the dead son adds something to it, you know, a little bit more of why he is the way he is and his relationship with his wife. And the, I mean, I think he's trying to be reasonable. I think he just can't disconnect music with the death of his son. And as unreasonable as that is, I think that's kind of why he's so strict in one manner, but doesn't necessarily think books are containing the devil and should all be burnt on the other hand. Yeah, he is. He's the more interesting character and the, you know, probably the best actor too. Though Diane Weiss is also, you know, a fantastic career. Um, but I agree. Yeah. He's his initial development comes from her right from his wife who kind of lets him know that uh that actually his daughter is similar to him that his daughter ariel and he uh they share more than than separates them right it's actually their, their similar headstrongness that is now causing this this cleavage between them when before they were you know like two peas in a pod um and i think within the movie He's also uh, in kind of the, the broader themes of um, the, the coming of age and, and the romantic comedy, my kind of argument for, for what the genre is, 
is that uh, you know both of these things, coming of age and romantic comedy, are both kind of dealing between uh, progressing forward and conserving the past. And, and depending on what decade you're in, romantic comedy is is either of those or both of those. Um, and I think what you get with the Reverend is is that kind of you know th that negotiation where we're trying to the the uh, the children the, the children the teenagers are trying to go forward and he's this sort of the, the conservative representative of society and what we get by the end of it is that we all kind of take a slight shuffle forward right we take a slight step forward um things get a little more relaxed but they get relaxed in a way that's congenial with the rest of of the group right you know we we the threat of book burning has been extinguished he's figured out that you can't burn slaughterhouse five right um but it, and he's said we have to let people dance you know um but at the same time he is not he's not like the villain who gets cast out he also dances we see him on the lawn dancing with his wife or hugging her or whatnot there's there's some kind of affection that that's returned there and so by um by allowing that character that kind of the that kind of depth that kind of uh depth of development it, it's i think speaks to what this film is trying to do in terms of genre but he's he's against book burning from the beginning right that dude comes to the church and he's like no we're not burning books but he's still anti-dancing and then they start burning books and he's like no 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 and then even after that i think he's still anti-dancing so i to say it's an it's not a smooth arc which it doesn't have to be but i think there's a like you said tom a shuffle a step forward i think it's a better a better way to put it um it, it felt to me like he was the reverend needed for this scene so sometimes he had to be the strict reverend and sometimes he had to be the one keeping the uh extremely fundamental conservatives at bay um and i didn't think it worked i thought it was disconnected it may have not been a smooth arc, but it may have also been the only major arc that we had in this movie. If, if you think his was disjointed, look at the other ones. I mean, a lot of these characters are very one-dimensional. I latched on to this one because it was the only one that was a little different of interest. The only thing that really helped me see that there may be some semblance of an actual movie here. Plus, I like John Lithgow. <laughs> he was great in the role. So why do you think he's disjointed? I, I'm not really catching. So in, this. The, in the beginning, um, he kind of he and Kevin Bacon respectfully meet right at the very beginning of the movie, um, and then Kevin Bacon wants to dance, and there's the laws, and the and the reverence given these. Uh, it's not homily. What is it when it's not Catholic? Um, sermon. He's giving these sermons that are that are like built up and and extreme, and they're knocking them down, um, but. One of the members of the church shows up and says, hey, we're going to get rid of these books out of the library. And this is still fairly early in the movie. And he's like, no, that's a bad idea. Like, you're crazy. So he's not the um, arch enemy. He's not the super like he, he already starts somewhere in the middle, not as extreme as, as they as they could have made him. And then he seems to just waver back and forth. So that that's kind of where I thought it was disconnected. I don't think he wavers. 
I yeah, agree with I that. think it may be a slow process, but it doesn't waver because he sees that his flock is getting more extreme based on his rhetoric than he really even intended to do so. And his wife is actually a big part of creating that opening for him to really start seeing the light. I don't think it's so much just um, Ren, but really his wife that says, hey, look what's going on with your daughter. Look what's going on with the town. Look what's going on with the people. What are you really trying to accomplish here? And I think he slowly over time, when you said disjointed, I thought you meant that he had small bits of development then followed by large bits of development. But I still think there was an arc there. She's going to say she has that whole speech about you can bring your your congregation so high that they look down to see heaven. And I think that's kind of where he hit that point of oh yeah, things are things are getting away from me a little bit. All right, going into the final question, Nick and Tom are tied with three points and Alexis is in the lead with four. It's time for question four. How many times do they play the titular song? Locked in? I'm going to lock in. Sure, I'm locked in. All right, Nick, what do you got? Two. Okay, and Alexis? I thought three. Tom? I also locked in two. Ah, Alexis takes this one. I had three. Oh, good job. I was afraid. I was. I thought it might have been three. <laughs> there was the title. I think there was one in the middle and then the prom. But I forget, was the yep. one in the middle at the... the bar that they for some reason had to drive a hundred miles to get to yeah exactly is that where they play you gotta go state lines yeah i remember you gotta go across state lines to go to the (laughs) dance i thought there might have been one i knew the beginning and the end definitely at the at the dance but i wasn't sure and that is so ridiculous by the way they're they're talking about it there was another scene where they're like yeah these people even got in trouble when they came back across state lines and got arrested like that's not how that works yeah it's like they're violating the man act (laughs) (laughs) yeah I i don't think this movie gave us much but it did give us that song Right. Like we, we can all agree we got the Footloose song out of this. The crazy thing about this movie, it made me think the whole time this is completely unrealistic. So then I decide to look into some trivia about this movie because we're going to be talking about it today. And I did find that it was based on possibly two different occurrences. So there was a, a, a town in Oklahoma called Elmore City who actually banned dancing since like 1898 and then they made like news in 1980 when like one of the the schools did want to have a junior prom and it literally hit the whole nation and finally the school board it was tied two to two and the head of it said let him dance and he broke the tie so that actually happened and there was another occasion in washington state 1981 uh in the town called linden that they banned the practice of dancing, you know, where alcohol would be served and same kind of situation, you know, this was so close to that movie coming out that they thought it was based on them. So I'm shocked that there was anything even close to this in reality out there. It makes way more sense to me that the the one it was actually based on is from a hundred years ago. 
<laughs> right. I mean, it's yeah. it's one of those things where like this started so long ago, no one can really remember. But in Footloose, it was five years ago. You know, everyone knows what happened and why. And everyone's just like, oh, yeah, those kids wouldn't have died if it wasn't for music. And even the, the introduction to that story. Do you know the legend of this bridge that happened five years ago to somebody sibling in this car? Like the, the way they present it, it's like an Ichabob Crane legend. And they're like, oh, yeah, my, my brother died a tragic death. Like it was... A very weird way they brought it up in the movie. So, so I, I hate to admit this, but I somehow missed that scene. Like it just I don't know what <laughs> happened. And then like uh, it was like it was at like an hour and seven minutes into the movie, he's like, uh uh Ren is saying something to Ariel. Oh, something about how what happened to your brother. I'm like, what happened to her brother? <laughs> And I had to go back. I missed the pivotal, like the one plot device in this whole movie. Uh, yeah, and this this movie is just like a pile of uh, cliches and conflict, right? There's like the the overbearing minister, the rebellious daughter, the trauma of the dead son, the you know like the con too conservative town, and the new kid in town. There's the moving from the city to the small town energy. There's the yeah, like there you know there's just they they couldn't pick what movie they wanted to make so they made all of them. Um, Can we agree that Ariel is probably the most annoying character in this movie? That's my vote at least. Yes. Yeah. She's terrible. <laughs> she's apparently a cello prodigy in real life. Oh. I think she's Juilliard's youngest graduate. <laughs> she should have stuck to cello. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, like they, a lot of famous actresses like turned down that role. Uh, the, one of them was Daryl Hannah. And when I looked at, it, I'm like, yeah, she's kind of seems like a a discount Daryl Hannah. <laughs> you know, I could see how she got cast. I think Madonna too. There was a whole yeah. bunch. There yeah. was a whole bunch of people who had nothing to do with this. Oh, God, Madonna <laughs> would have been worse though. Let's let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> Things can always be worse. It's time for. Movie rent. In my my kind of prep for this was looking at um, the coming of age genre and also the romantic comedy genre, and you know how this this works in both those regards. Uh, and so, you know, thinking we talked a little bit about this as as coming of age, right? There's that seems to be what this is, especially specifically an American coming of age story because the it you come through age to this kind of like civic action even if it is civic action to, to you know to get you to dance um i i think it it also kind of fits a lot of the standards of of kind of screwball comedy light in the sense of you have this uh, sort of romantic couple that's mismatched that has to learn how to deal with each other before they can come together and i think that's that's there too even though the the beats by this point of that relationship are, are so kind of either tried and true or worn down, depending on your, your opinion of this film, um, that they don't really sparkle as, like they used to. But I think that is, I think you can make a, a clear argument that this is a, a screwball romantic comedy as well. See, I have a different lens on this one and I, I shared it 
in some of the prior questions. Well, I do see that interpretation. It's just those arcs were so weak that I don't want to give it credit. If you strip away the dancing and all of that stuff, you really could almost have a drama in here. If you focus more on the reverend's journey, the reverend's path, and the different things that are happening, I actually see a, a drama here. And I mean like a real drama, you know, but again, I'm stripping out a lot of the flavor of what they were trying to really intend, which is exactly what Tom's talking about. But if we want to just have a creative exercise, I think there's something to say that drama makes the most sense compared to any arcs that actually develop. But, but I mean, like drama wouldn't be a genre though, right? That would be, that would be just, the, or, or it's a too large a genre. I mean, drama is just, it's kind of like, Drama is a genre. Well, it's like this. It's like it's a genre of it's too it's too zoomed back. I mean, it's a, it's a genre of kind of performative work. Right. Wouldn't any kind of anything you perform be drama? No, in movie classifications, there are movies that are classified as drama. OK, but I, I, I mean, so the OK, so the, the idea of trauma would be what? That it's like between comedy and tragedy? Yeah, I, I'm actually stripping out. I don't. I didn't buy the comedy. The only thing I bought in the comedy is when they were doing the tractor race or the tractor playing chicken on tractors, mm -hmm. and his shoelace got stuck. I love that scene. I found that funny. That was good. But the rest of it, the romance elements for me were not very strong. The comedy was not very strong. So the only thing that I'm trying in this thought experiment is to say the one actual development one arc is the drama in the sense of the journey of the reverend yeah is that really I, I agree that you peeled back those like i agree that that works best but i i don't you know but i think you, you can't just even if it doesn't work particularly well it's still a movie about a young couple that gets together right yeah, even if it's even if it sucks people watch, you know is that why people watched it they just watched it to hear the songs yeah. and all that so i'm just trying to you know humor kj here in this mm. thought exercise of how we can look at it a little deeper you know and I, I that's the only thing that i'd say you could if you if you reskinned it i i think the the best you know genre that it could have fell under would have been an actual drama but again i don't have a lot of skin in the game on this one <laughs> so tom would you would you call greece a coming of age story i'm trying to think of another movie that that kind of mirrors some of this the the hot shot kid with the greece is a yeah, well, Grease is a romantic comedy also. It's a romantic comedy musical where you have, you know, I mean, it's an honest musical because they, you know, sing and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's it's the same idea. It's two people from different worlds who come together. I mean, that's the idea of screwball. Screwball comedy, it's, it's another, like, American-born style of comedy that started in 1934. Uh, it started in the 30s. Each generation has a new take on it. Um, and the idea is you have people from two different social classes, right? It's It's... Um, Clark Gable, who's the the out of work reporter, and it's Claudette Colbert, who is the the socialite, the daughter of the wealthy person. And by some crazy circumstance, they end up having to do something together. And initially, they're antagonistic because they're from different worlds. And over time, they learn to respect one another, and then they fall in love. What we have here, I think, is a watered down version of that. And I think that's why, Nick, you're not responding as I did too, oh, yeah. to it at all, because it's yeah. just this thing's been going on since the 30s. And we're getting like, you know, we've been promised vodka and we're getting tap water at this point. Yeah. Um, and but it still has those beats. Right. There's uh, Kevin Bacon, who is 
um, this kind of more urbane person. He he wears a, a tie on his first day to school, right? He's from Chicago. He's a big city. Uh, he's a little more sophisticated, but now he is also the fish out of water. He's that kind of Claudette Colbert role, the version of it. And she is the kind of kind of down and dirty. She knows the world. She knows how to maneuver the world, right? She she has to. She's like the baddest bad girl, but she's also the minister's daughter. She's the perfect person to perfect cliche. She's the perfect cliche, and she's also the perfect yeah. <laughs> she's also the perfect person to represent the kind of um, the kind of world that Kevin Bacon's character now finds himself in, right? Those are the two sides. You're the new kid in town. Um, you're under the uh, under under the watch of this like I wouldn't call it theocratic, but it's it's certainly pseudo theocratic. Um, and over time, they have to kind of get over their skepticism of each other. I wouldn't even call it dislike because it's not it's not even that strong of <laughs> of an emotional response they have. But they have to get over they have to get over those differences that they see in the other one. And kind of make it work, right? Kevin Bacon has to get over the fact that she's been kissed by a lot of guys, right? He says that at one point, I think you've been kissed by a lot of guys as a way of kind of pushing her away. And then he gets to, once he gets over that, he's able to see, oh, this person is is somewhat deeper than I thought, right? She writes poetry that's actually not in verse. <laughs> like it goes off the meter <laughs> when she's reading it. <laughs> but you know, what? whatever, like that's the, that's the point. And so I think it has those beats of screwball um, and that's what it's what it's drawing on. But like we're talking about, like the reference story is so much more interesting, but it, it itself is kind of a cliche, like the, the overbearing father is is a cliche. And then it also has this like dance stuff, which I don't think it does particularly well. Um, but but that's what I would say. I would say it's it's that intersection between screwball and coming of age. And I think it's also because screwball is an American genre, right? It's, it's the American version of romantic comedy um, that it's, it's peculiarly American, this movie. So when I look on uh, IMDb, just to get the official um, genres outside of this thought exercise, it says drama, music, romance. And KJ, what was your intent of this exercise to really look outside? I took it as if you could rationalize what this movie did right to turn it into a movie, what would it symbolize? Whereas it does have these elements. And I think it just is, it depends on the lens we're looking at. So what, what, what were you thinking uh, when you were trying to uncover this? Well, at risk of repeating myself, I, I thought I was walking into a dance movie. You know, I, I thought uh, similar to Singing in the Rain, where there was going to be a problem that's not really a problem and it's solved with literally dancing. Um, but it, we didn't really get that. Um, and so I just while I was watching the movie, I was trying to figure out what was this movie trying to say? Because I don't think it, it presented a good, strong set of morals and taught us, hey, if you just follow these morals, then you'll be OK. <laughs> They didn't teach us, hey, don't get too strict on your morals. If you don't follow them, you'll be okay. So I, I was really just trying to figure out where where this movie came from and how, you know, why was it made? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still debating that. I, yeah, I was kind of expecting something the entire time that just wasn't there. Uh, and one of it was, 
just the character development. I mean, with the, like Tom was saying with the screwball comedy, you know, it's the two opposing characters, but I mean, it's, they have that one scene where he, you know, he asks her why, uh, why she doesn't like him and she, you know, doesn't really have an answer and he tells her he thinks that she's been kissed a lot and and that's kind of it. It's really her boyfriend at the beginning that doesn't like him and she's just kind of out to piss off the world. But yeah, it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't quite strong in any of it. I thought it was really just supposed to be fun. And that was kind of, you know, at the time, I think uh, Dirty Dancing was around the same time, Grease was around the same time, and it was, you know, kind of that fun movie with a lot of songs and music in it, and I kind of thought that was the point instead of anything deeper. Yeah, you might be right, Alexis. That that actually makes a lot of sense. It, it was supposed to just be a fun, feel-good movie. Um, I just don't know if there was enough songs or enough dancing that I felt good besides the intro and you know the last scene maybe i think we could have had more fun if we listened to the soundtrack versus watch the movie i think you might be onto something alexis we did it all wrong <laughs> throw the movie out like everyone else and just listen to the soundtrack listening albums trivia <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'd say i like dirty dancing more dirty dancing doesn't feel like we're building to these numbers that that aren't well made right I, I've never seen a full yeah. watch of Dirty Dancing, but the, the scenes that I have seen, you know, comes on the TV, my wife is watching it, and I feel like I've seen a big chunk of it, just not in one continuous sitting. There is more there. There's more going on there. It's not as one-dimensional. There are different arcs. There's different elements. There's plot. That is, and I thought in my head that the movies were the same, and now I know for a fact that this is different, and I almost feel like one of our earlier iterations, we would have paired this with uh, Dirty Dancing to see the difference between the two. Yeah, or punt it with uh, Singing in the Rain. Congratulations, Alexis, for winning this week's episode. Actually, you crushed us. Did you get every single one right? I think I got one wrong. Nope, down, down the board. All right. Yeah. That was a flawless victory. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Alexis, especially with the little one in the house. We really do appreciate it. I know it's tough to juggle all that. You're better than I am. No problem. <laughs> Apparently it has uh, made me better at memorizing details of Footloose. I don't think many parents would say that, but somehow it worked out in your it's favor. It's only for Footloose, though. Everything else is <laughs> oh, <that> just... <laughs> Or is it hairspray which turns out to be footloose yeah. or, uh, yeah. you should know the details i know about hairspray despite never seeing <laughs> it uh-oh we got a ringer coming for that one for everyone else out there check out our website talkingpicturestrivia.com for more information about us and our episodes you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our youtube channel we are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us if you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. What genre do you think best exemplifies Footloose and why? Leave a comment on our YouTube channel and let's continue the conversation. Join us next time when we discuss a movie that's been on Tom's list for a while from 1977, Eraserhead. I know it'll be a first watch for me. Looking forward to it. See you then. Ding, 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 ding.